Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we have a fascinating episode. We are diving into the world of sushi. We are sitting down with Chef Andy Matsuda from the Sushi Chef Institute in Los Angeles, California. And um, he is talking to us not only about the institute and everything that they do over there for sushi chef training, but he's also talking about kind of what goes into being a sushi chef and learning all about this craft. And he gives us some really interesting little tidbits about sushi rice and about Japanese cutlery and all the different types of fish and what to look for for when you're buying um, fish for making sushi. And it's just, there's a lot of really cool information. It's a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I'm going to remind you to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. If you're not already, thank you to everybody who has already subscribed. As a subscriber, every time we drop a new episode, it'll automatically be downloaded directly to your device. And we are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Go ahead and find us and follow us. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, do you want to be a sponsor? Do you want to be a guest? Do you have topic suggestions? You can fill out our online form, which is located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And if you enjoy the show, please remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out. And we appreciate everybody that's already done that. With that, please enjoy this conversation that we had with Chef Andy, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right. So we are sitting down today with Chef Andy Matsuda, who is from the Sushi Chef Institute. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So happy to see uh, see the conversation. You guys and organization. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Uh, Dr. Steve Hart introduced us after an event that he went to where he met you and um, thought that this would be a really cool conversation. And what we're going to talk about today is something that I think a lot of our listeners will find pretty interesting. We're going to kind of be talking about like what goes into becoming a sushi chef. We don't talk too much about sushi, but it's a big part of the seafood industry. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn when it comes to this type of food. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to learn about that. And we're going to talk about the Sushi Chef Institute and uh, all that. But before we get into it, we want to learn who you are, Andy. Can you give us a little background on yourself and kind of how you got to where you are now? It's a pretty interesting story. Sure. Thank you. I'm in, in the countryside of Japan, uh, north side of uh, Kobe. The, the countryside, the, it is the central of Japan. I born and there, and, and I'm, I'm in a, you know, made in Japan. So I come from Japan. My parents uh, started to small sake restaurant, like a sake pub. Is, uh, I was nine years old. So always mm-hmm. like a restaurant business and a grow. And after the high school, I went to the major uh, Japanese restaurant in Osaka and I met a uh, super chef as in uh, Japan. And I was always a dream about it. It's in some of the country, other side. Get us, my country is very small. So going to the, the trip, I was in right after the high school. I'm in a backpacker and coming to United States, San Francisco, ADA, uh, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, going to London, 
Paris and other 14 different countries. I see that Los Angeles is the biggest hit in the sushi industry. So I promise to be, become an sushi chef to be here in 25. So I commit myself to do become a sushi chef. And I came to Los Angeles and I was in 25. That was at age 25. Yes. <laughs> and then I saw that you worked in, in restaurants kind of all over the place in, in, the, in the States, though. Yes. I uh, work for LA, based in LA, but I have a chance in New York. I have, uh, mm-hmm. I have a chance to Aspen, Colorado, and uh, I met uh, so many places. Then I started to my school. I was in 34. Yeah. About 40, yeah, because the doing the time as a sushi chef is then working for many restaurants and hotels. Then uh, I crushed because I working too hard because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a taking a classes for night. I work for full time for the hotel and sushi bar, uh, working for a weekend for a you know, little bit of cash money for the weekend. Then uh, I did a started a little bit of trading into the Japan. So Japan was a booming nineteen uh, nineteen ninety area. Then uh, too much work and then I crashed myself. So I need to recover. It takes about four hours to recover. Again, I had a cancer, so I can't do anything in hard work. So we started to uh, sushi school. We get a training. We get. I have no money. I have only I have an knowledge of uh, sushi skill. So people need me to be grow in sushi industry. Uh, I can t- teach them whatever they needed to. So that's just started to 2002 myself for small, small, small places. People able to fit like uh, five, six, seven, ten people to start it. 2002, Little Tokyo. That's what happened. And now... Your primary, I mean, you're still a chef, but your your primary thing that you're doing is this Sushi Chef Institute, correct? Yes, it is. So uh, since it's uh, 2002, and uh, my sushi skill since I was in 2018, actually. So that skill I use for only that I had a, a skill. It's main skill is a sushi school, or, you know, sushi skill. So that's why I use for to the public because it's giving back to the American society. People need it because uh, that's only I have a chance to do grow myself. You get a sushi chef, sushi bar everywhere, but uh, mm-hmm. I have only skill to be maintain my body slowly, but it's something I can do for them. So that's the started a point. Oh, it's given back. That's fantastic. So let's get to the question of the day. Sure. We're not going to, you know, get all of the information that would happen in one of these classes, obviously, because it is, uh-huh. I mean, this is like a $3,200 course. This is a legit course that you're going for, what, six, is it six weeks? Eight. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yeah. Eight yeah. weeks. So mm-hmm. obviously, we're not going to get everything that you're going to learn in an eight-week class. But I think something that is interesting to people would be to kind of get a gist on kind of what kind of training goes into becoming a sushi chef i know that there's this video that went viral years ago where it was like <laughs> you know you need to learn to spend six years learning how to cook the rice before you can even touch the fish and all this stuff and it was like this big thing on like how you become a sushi chef and i was like that seems a little far-fetched but i'm curious <laughs> what this training is like and kind of like what 
Like, where do you start? If you I mean, obviously you start at a place like your institute, but where might someone start when they decide, okay, I'm going to learn how to be a sushi chef? What is the process for that? Well, this is the way, and when you do only we teaching a five thing. So we can do cooking and rice, sushi rice, properly as good condition all the time, anywhere you are. Secondly, we're sharpening a knife. And the Japanese mm-hmm. knife is on one side of a sharpening knife, very different than a Western knife. Third one, we do for cutting a fish, fillet a fish. Then we do nigiri, is uh, like a Tokyo style fish on the top and then rice underneath, nigiri, traditional one. Mm-hmm. And then roll making. But you can see the internet, you know, YouTube, you can see the roll making everywhere. So you can learn it. A lot of people are does for making roll, making roll, making roll, and be a sushi chef. So, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people get the job, you know, roll making, but they don't know anything about how to make sushi rice proper. They don't know how to shopping a knife. They don't know anything about the fish and the cutting. Uh, what they know, frozen fish, where they come from, they have no idea. Now, nigiris, these people started making things. So, but thing is, in Japan, they don't teach anything. That's the problem. You have to see still by the watching to be the master. So, so is it more of an apprenticeship type thing where like you have to get hired and like watch the chef and kind of learn by just seeing what's going on and then trial, trial and error until you get it right? <laughs> <laughs> but here we show into everything, whatever they need, I can share with you. We have a textbook. DVD, demonstration, paperwork. Uh, There's more tests, a skill test we do every day, Monday to Friday, 8 o'clock, uh, eight o'clock to 1, 8 weeks. So they can learn so much chunk of learning in here, which most of people in do. Japan takes about four, five, six years to learn mm-hmm. things. I can do and put it into the two months. That's a big difference. Because in Japan, people, they don't talk, they don't share. They don't hide it, everything. So it doesn't work that way because the time is money. You have to learn it as quick as possible with knowledge to move on. But Japan, you, you want to keep you an employee for five years, then you can learn little by little. This is no fair. Yeah, why do you think that is that they haven't kind of implemented a, a type of teaching system for that over in Japan? Do you think it's just because people don't want to share kind of their their secrets and their methods or what do you what do you think it is well we have a small country half side of california 128 million people there so they're teaching everything you have so many competition coming here is we have about los angeles is over six thousand japanese restaurant here wow. so you have a more create the chef you have more competition you die quickly so that's yeah. why they don't want to share with it in japan you get the old neighbor sushi chef. You can see the Ginza, how many? 200, 300 sushi bar there. They don't want to share with anybody. Yeah, interesting. Well, I took a two-hour, I believe, sushi-making class because I am an avid sushi eater. <laughs> and now <laughs> I good. wanted to become a, a sushi maker or creator. And so my wife signed me up for this class. There's a fellow up in Portland, Maine. It's a Great Wave Sushi. He has a food truck and he makes some amazing, different, unique sushi platters, uh, t- different types of sushi. So I had his, I took his class and I can tell you that I would need eight eight weeks 
I would need to go to, the, to an institute because it is not as simple as rolling out rice, slapping on some seaweed, and then cutting it into little cylinders. Everything from how sharp your knife was to how wet the, the rice had to be, the perfect texture, the cutting techniques. I'm sure you probably go over that too, like how you, how I mean, if you push down too hard, then things start to mush. crunch, to mush together. It was very challenging, and I, I had this conception that it was going to be really not as difficult and again it was only two hours and it was really just an introductory kind of <laughs> train and we got to eat everything we made so that was that was also a benefit but was it though because you made it like were yeah. you like oh, this isn't quite as good <laughs> well my wife my wife was like well let me take some pictures of your sushi and i was like please don't because it is not picture worthy but there's a lot there's you know, so then of course I got a rice cooker for Christmas, and I got the rolling bamboo sleeves, and I got everything that I to make simple, simple sushi, right? But there's more to it, right? You can you can have the right knife, you can have the right equipment, but now now I need to go out and I need to get fish or shrimp mm -hmm. or whatever it is that I want to, and and so you have to have knowledge on what to look for, what's good, what's not good, where do I go, what type is better, and so there's. There's so much that goes into it. And I think once you master it and if you have a passion for it, it's probably really rewarding to be able to go out there and get a little creative, but also to show off your craftsmanship, right? Like a, when you order sushi from a from a, a nice restaurant or from a, a sushi chef who knows what they're doing and the, the display, how it looks, it's just a sight to be seen. So you mentioned a couple of different things and it was kind of like the modules for your course, right? I was wondering if we can kind of go through and maybe get like little tidbits from a couple of these different categories. So you, you first talked about rice. What is the, you know, what is like, what's the big deal when it comes to rice? I, I don't want to get too deep into each category because I want people to, you know, sign up and, and join your class. <laughs> but um, I want to get, if we can give like a little bit of, of information about each of these to kind of drop some knowledge on our listeners and, and mm -hmm. um, you know, get, get them a little excited about this. What is, uh, what's kind of the big message when it comes to the rice, because I know that's one of the first things that you that you talk about in your course. Sure, it's uh, sushi rice is uh, important for us because the seventy percent of the sushi is our sushi mm -hmm. rice. So, yeah. but sushi rice has season because the new rice, uh, old crop and new crop. How many people know when it's gonna be new crop? When is uh, uh, old crop? How about the people cooking by pot or sushi rice cooker? or mm -hmm. uh, gas cooker is another different. And then they come into uh, using for a season for a fall season or outside the humidity in the hot and cold and winters, all different things. You want to do takeout or you want to do sushi bar or you want to do uh, for the cater. For example, uh, sushi rice, you need a regulation, uh, pH 4.6, under 4.6, then or you can do, you have to keep in four hours, you have to do, you have to eat in two hours and after the things, or there's a lot of regulation and then also temperature control and how they cook it is all different. So how many people know about it? So just to do, uh, watch the rice and then water's in and the switch is on. And then uh, what kind of vinegar we have to use and how kind of seasoning we do, how many ratios and this whole mm -hmm. question comes in. So those yeah. one that we need to do clearly, we teaching step by step. Then always going to taste it the same, and the consistency is coming to uh, any day, any time you can do it. So 
And some people do Philippines, and people are in Germany, people are uh, you know, coming to Australia, but still saying that all consequences, cold, human, hot, you're in, in, in that Colorado, Aspen, and then 110,000 feet high or yeah. beach level. It's all consequences of different things, but you can do anytime, anywhere, anytime. That's uh, professional. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you learn all this about rice when you did your? Oh no, he he. What I was he was just like, here's your rice. I did it for you. Don't worry. <laughs> yes, it, it was it was a it was more of a fun like a fun right yeah fun yeah. fun class. But yeah, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it. <laughs> right, we're we you know that that was a five minute conversation on rice. Yeah, it's whew. no, it's it's it's. It's fascinating. And like, you don't think about it. I think a lot of, especially like Westerners, you know, they think they order takeout sushi and it's just like, well, it's white rice, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's so much more that goes into it than that. Right. Right. Um, and I just thought that'd be, that'd be really interesting to kind of touch on that. And then the second thing that you touched on was um, cutlery and the knife, the Japanese knives, how they're different from Western knives. Um, what makes Japanese knives special and specialized for sushi? What's different about them? Uh, Western knife is made by uh, stainless steel, so softer and no rusted. But Japanese knives are uh, white steel and carbon steel. There's a baby hundred times. It's much harder mm-hmm. than uh, different steel. Then mm-hmm. they are not both sharpening edges right and left. We're one side only, so we're twenty angle only. It's not like a, a 30, a 50, 60 angle on both edges. So they're very different angle and it's sharper. And, but it's going to be rusted because of the metal. It's a naturally uh, oxidizing. So it needs yeah. to be dyed uh, by color change it by rusting. So we need to maintain every day. We have a sharpening every day, keeping, uh, you know, sharp edges every day. That's the, uh, difficult part and shopping and using whetstone and we have to do it uh, brand new knife is only 80 percent sharp so we have to do maintain every day to by ne- next couple months to be sharpness is coming so no one believe you know i said a couple months and why you have a brand new knife <laughs> people don't know how they sharpen knives but i got five thousand dollar uh, it's a you know, so expensive knife. I should be ready. <laughs> so, well, it's still brand new knife. So you have a great Lamborghini, but you don't know how to drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. So, but you have a nice Civic, but I know how to drive. That meaning uh, you have a cheap knife, you know how to shop, maintain a knife. Mm-hmm. So the knife is very sharp. <laughs> so did you mention is the shelf life with a knife that you are regularly uh, maintaining and sharpening? How long do you usually have your knives for before you need to replace them? Uh, when you sharpen it, you can do it a couple of days should be good. But after a couple of days, you are sharpening. But Japanese yeah. knife is uh, lifelong, probably 20 or 30 years long. Okay. But Western knife, probably about five or six years. That's a big uh, difference. It's good investment. Yeah. Well, because of the hardness, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Fascinating. So a couple other things that you mentioned in the first week, I'm just looking at you, the kind of um, itinerary for the course here. And I just some of the stuff that's just jumping out at me, stocks and soups, sauces uh, and dressings, like there's so many different options for this. How do you like organize the, these courses to like go? I don't know how to how to ask this question, but like there's so many different ingredients here. How would one go about learning all of this? Well, 
Um, like what is the approach that's taken for that? Uh, so people come in here for maybe 18 to 60. So it's a big arrangement and people have some experience. Some people it's non-experience. So I do in the first uh, one week understanding a Japanese food and a cooking rice, making miso soup, studying a little bit of chopping and sharpening a knife. It's all fundamental first week. Second week, we started to making a roll. At the same time, we do some understanding uh, steaming dishes or deep fried dishes like a tempura, or we making uh, simmering dishes. So, uh, so uh, you know, uh, misoni, something like that, and then grilled dishes. So all understanding of Japanese foods. And uh, second and third week, then the fourth week, we starting a uh, nigiri. It is uh, after the roll making. So we do step by step roll nigiri with touching a touch and roll to fish like a shrimp, mackerel. Uh, squid, uh, tuna, yellowtail, eel, um, those kind of things, little by little. We use them for about 30 different types of fish. So most of restaurants in the United States, probably by four or five. Like uh, yeah. Everybody had a tuna, shrimp, hamachi, and salmon. That's it. So <laughs> and what else? <laughs> we have about 30 different types, kampachis and eels, freshwater eel, sea eel. Squid, octopus, uh, on and on. And coming from some of the fish, it's uh, kohadas, and uh, we have uh, uh, what I call uh, kamasu, uh, uh, nodoguro. We can have something in it from Japan fish too, something you see. We use a wagyu too. So, of course, we do uh, uh, tuna coming from uh, uh, Burufina, it's coming from down in Mexico, they do yeah. some of the Spain too. So. Interesting is on a different fish. They want to cut it. So that's very enjoyable. Uh, dealing with a fish, because the freshness is very, very needed. So Right. So one thing that's fascinating that I think a lot of people understand a little bit about is kind of the standards for the fish that you use, that you're able to use. What, what are the requirements to be able to use a certain species of fish, a certain cut of fish for sushi? Because I know that there are some where they're not, you know, they, I've heard the term sushi grade thrown around what you know can you just talk a little bit about the kind of requirements for a fish that can be used to make sushi right um because it's, as you can see the salmon for example the salmon is very important to do because it's so popular a lot of people likes it but european people as a smoked salmon is able to eat it right away uh, mm -hmm. we have uh, salmon come from a mountain like uh, alaska or canada or you coming from a farm raisin or coming from the ocean so this salmon should be everywhere. So this is the things important thing to do. How proper uh, prep work. The salmon should be need to be freezed in one week to be killed all worm germs and stuff. So it's called anisex. And other tuna, it's a fresh coming from the ocean. It's mostly coming from the oceans are great, but a lot of time in a frozen package, then you know the people buy is uh, we don't know how fresh it is. So that's I mean, how a lot of people are asking me um, yeah, how long you can keep is because I don't know when you get it. You catch yourself or buy in grocery store and very different things. So right. that requirement is that this is a knowledge about fish. So procedure nigiri and roll, those who are rice cooker, it can do a learning and quickly. But 
fish coming to very difficult part. That's why it takes time to learning. You can see the whole fish, then you can fillet. You can age it, or you can use today. But some of them frozen item, and how long, how defrost it, and how to sear them in muddy nation things, it's all different by fish by fish. Yeah. That's are there fascinating. Any, are there any fish species that uh, you're kind of like required to cook and you can't serve? I know some recipes serve raw and some serve cooked. Are there any that are required to be cooked? Right. It shrimp. looks like a, <laughs> you know, shrimp is, uh, yeah. we can't eat the raw, but right. some of the raw shrimp, most of the time, black tigers and white shrimp go to China, black tiger in Thailand, uh, you know, brown shrimp coming down in Mexico. They do some of them in freshwater, so we have to cook them. But yeah. you can see the local uh, spot from that's coming from the ocean, live one, so we can eat it in fresh rock. But, you know, octopus is not eating it, it's too chewy, so you have to do uh, boiling, or you can do something mm. like that. So it's, it's a uh, we dealing with you know seafoods in Japan about thousand years, but we eat the most of it coming from ocean. But we have to know how to eat it. It's very different than any other country. When you're like sourcing your fish, are there any like certain certifications that you look for, or anything like that, or is it kind of like day by day? If you go to a fish market and you kind of use your your own personal senses to you know to pick out what you're going to get that day, is there? Is there some guidelines that you kind of follow when you're choosing? Um, I'm comfortably go there fish market in the morning. I will touch it. I can smell it. I can condition, inspect it. I'm going to comfortably mm-hmm. buy. And also something I can trust the supplier. You know how treat and how long they're doing it. Then how much yeah. knowledge is are. You get a lot of employees, but only the few people are very Specialized in knowledge, but probably by a lot of people, they don't know. They just hired working with them. So I need to someone, something I can trust. So those want to open a boxes for me. I can touch it and inspect it and I buy and choosing. So I do this way. Uh, even the tuna, yellow tails and another. So they are not coming in a package, coming from the ice and the fish. So, so I have to pick and choose. When coming from East Coast, West Coast, from Asia, from Japan, some of the Europe, is all different coming to here. It is in the hub. It's a lot of seafood coming from all over the world. So, Yeah. And that's something that I imagine just would just take time, like to establish the relationships uh, with fishmongers that you trust and you, that you know, you know, will handle it in a certain way and all that stuff. Just something that people are going to have to build up and work towards, right? Right. You can see right now, um, about 30 years ago, sea urchin in the boxes is only by, uh, probably by $15. Right now, it's $100 in the boxes. Um, even a giant clam called Guida from uh, uh, Seattle area is in one piece in the dollar fifty about 30, 40 years ago. Right now, it's $60. Oh, wow. So, Price is are crazy almost every month, every year is going up so much right now. So you have to dealing with uh, those expensive fish and uh, halibut right now almost eighteen dollars a pound or 
you know, four pound. One is almost a hundred dollar halibut. You fillet the head off, bone, skin off, guts out. How much left? In fifty percent left. So yeah, <laughs> it's not twenty dollars anymore, and forty dollars a pound of pure meat. Because the feeding million only the ten dollars for the Costco. We are dealing with the fish in a full time expense. So <laughs> that's a wholesale. <laughs> that's why yeah. we have to fillet technique should be super great because you don't wasting anything. Yeah, you gotta you maximize. Have. Yeah, right. So fish is so expensive right now. They're coming from Japan, thirty eight dollars, and just to do a small anchovy, eight dollar, nine dollar for wholesaler. They said, "Wow, this is a crazy." Japan is cheaper, but bringing in from to the Japan to here transportation. Yeah, you gotta get it here. <laughs> yeah, so expensive right now. So has that kind of um kind of forced you to get a little creative with what you're choosing to use and and kind of what you're choosing to do with it? Uh, have you kind of developed new combinations or new recipes based on the difficulty to get certain fish versus mm-hmm. others at, at certain times? I'm just curious about kind of how that has affected things. Well, Japanese people are know how eat the best way. So that's the called simplest. So we do for tuna, we don't do much is uh, sear them, toji them, butter and salt and peppers and you know cayenne pepper or mm-hmm. a trifle oil. We don't do this way. It's simply great tuna slicing, put nigiri, a little bit of wasabi and just brushes on the right soy sauce, done. Very simply. Yeah. Looks like I'm making a roll with a lot of mayo and sauces and crispy and on top and whatever. Those ones, they don't like to be yeah. in the sushi shop. <laughs> so very diverse. Here is more flavor and sauces than here. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I love. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, right, yeah, it's just like covered in sauce. Yeah. It's got a bunch of crunch on the top. Yeah, give me a dragon roll <laughs> any day. Yeah. So... See him here, but it's for me and between the two countries. So Japan side is like a nigiri tuna, beautiful tuna, and a prawn to the rice and nigiri, and a little soy sauce to eat. That's just sushi it is. But going to the Saudi Arabia is making rolls and sauces and crunchy and spicy, and that's just sushi. Hmm. Totally different thing. Totally different people there. Mm-hmm. But, but I think a lot of people that are coming to the Institute and are trying to learn probably have this vision of why they're there, right? Like what area are they going back to once, once they've mastered as much as they can, right? Like what's their target audience? What are the, who are their customers? Well, and, you would hope that they would have done that market research. <laughs> yeah. And, and, or, I mean, some may just want to have a vision and just want to learn and, and see where it takes them. But I think given I, I looked at the breakout of all of the eight weeks and it covers a lot. Sure. And I think that's really great because it allows people to have a backup plan almost if you say, well, this is what I thought I wanted to do. But now that you've shown me all of this, I want to take some of that knowledge and mm-hmm. integrate that into what my previous vision was. And I think that's the beauty with this. It's not just rice and tuna, rice mm-hmm. and salmon, rice and shrimp or whatever mm-hmm. the three most popular ones in at least on the East Coast might be, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a couple of things that's an uh, issue in here. So, my, not issue, it's his opinion. As uh, a Jetro, as a Japanese government, uh, is searching in a sushi bar in the world. So, they have about 200,000 sushi bar in the whole earth. It's coming the whole world. 
is mm-hmm. coming to 98% is our non-Japanese owner and restaurant uh, chefs working there. So meaning is the high-end Ginza style and Tokyo style sushi is only the 2%. Hmm. 98% is the sushi booming and making so world. People are interested, but they're on non-Japanese. Yeah. So for me, there's a lot of people need help. <laughs> so yeah. I'm happy to share whatever I know or share with them. I'm not teaching. I can share because so many chefs in a different way because you know, they don't have any fundamental basic, looks like a, you know, French culinary school. We don't have like a culinary school in Japan. So very basic one is we have to share with what I know. That's something we're working with. We have about 2,000 people graduate and the people are so success. Some people do for 18 restaurants, over 300 employees. Other restaurants, the lady is in Spain. They have about five restaurants, over 250 employees. So some people are very doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people come to me. I can share with you whatever I know. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to get to how people can kind of get involved and, and come join your class by the end. But I, you know, I, I don't want to take too long, but I do have a couple more questions. Sure. So I have heard, I don't know where I heard this, but I have heard that there is like certain etiquette that you should follow, especially if you're in Japan while eating sushi. Is that a rumor or is that uh, is there a specific etiquette that needs to be kind of followed for eating sushi? Have you ever heard that? Sure. Eating sushi, being a sushi bar or you're in a table, it's slightly different because you're in a sushi bar, chef making in front of you, making one by one. Go ahead and pick up by your hand. And just a little bit of soy sauce or most of the times is the brushes on it. You put it in the mouth, ready to go condition. But you are in a sit down table. We're using a chapstick and a little bit of soy. Don't make it a soy sauce and wasabi. It looks like ketchup. Don't do that. So <laughs> My <laughs> wife does that. Sauce. I tell her. I tell her that's, that's not right. <laughs> I'm not so a, a little, big wasabi fan anyway. So I guess. Okay. 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 So just a little soy sauce and I eat it by using a chapstick. That's just a good mm-hmm. manner. Um, that's only I can say. But yeah, maybe I know how when you eat a ginger, how they use a wasabi, when you drinking a tea, why we need to drink tea or something like that. But it's just uh, whatever you want to do. It should be fine. But, so if I go to Sumo Sushi in Derry, New Hampshire, shout out to my local sushi restaurant. If I go there and I sit at the sushi bar, I want to be, as I'm getting served, I want to be grabbing it with my fingers, a little bit of soy sauce and just popping it in my mouth. That's kind of the, what we're, what we're looking for. Right. I just want to do it right. (laughs) Right. 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 That's good. 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 All right. Good to know. (laughs) I just, I had heard that somewhere again. It was probably like the next video after this rice cooking video that I watched that went viral. And it was probably Mm -hmm. telling me like you, you don't want to act this certain way or else you'll get thrown out of sushi restaurant. <laughs> it's just fascinating to me. Um, mm-hmm. what, do you, what would you say is the most difficult aspect of sushi, whether it's a specific species to work with or a certain type of sushi or a specific role that like to you is just really difficult? Like what in your, in your opinion is the most difficult aspect of this? Well, it's in a dean and teaching or that's the eating part of it. The thing is the fish, is the most difficult because there's so many uh, species from Japan. Uh, I'm in an ocean, so they do for the season. 
And a good season is not a good season, especially like a clam. There's a very, some of the uh, season not eating, you know, not eatable. But it's a fishes uh, seasonal, uh, spring and summertime, and fall season, winter season, like a broth fish. You can't eat it for other season. Only the winter has a poison. You should have a license for it. So it's just, uh, there's many different things. Understanding a fish, this is a very knowledge needed and need experience. You need to know how to cut. And the eel are unagi and freshwater eel, uh, Tokyo style and uh, Osaka style, Kyoto style, all different fillet technique and also even mm-hmm. knife is different. So that's kind of frustrating for uh, about the dealing in a fish. And here in the United States, it's uh, uh, so many fish coming from all over the world. So it's just very challenging to see, but I technique to how to marination or sear them and the best way to serve it for uh, condiments, sauces, great uh, technique, Touching, this is so many a way it is. So, about a fish is for me is most um, needing knowledgeable as but big challenge for me. Makes sense, Justin. Do you have anything? Well, if we're getting close to wrapping up, one of the questions bit. I want to make sure to ask because I'm always really curious when we get a chef, a teacher, an educator on the show is what is your favorite sushi dish? Well, tuna is my favorite. There's uh, so many different tuna, and it also tastes so good. It's good mm-hmm. for you and beautiful in the fish. So I love it. What about you, Justin? What's your go-to? You know, when I was when I had my class and we were talking about which rolls he sells the most of, he said, by far, I sell out of the tuna, which for some reason I found shocking because I'm, I'm a salmon mm-hmm. sushi person. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. When you look at a nice cut, tuna but also you look at a really nice cut of salmon they're just really like there's something beautiful about looking at mm. at those and getting ready to mouth watering yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure yeah i think my go i mean i love like a salmon avocado roll something that's really like refreshing and like light and clean mm-hmm. but i also like like as like we were saying like the specialty rolls that have all of the different like the eel sauce and all the you know the stuff on top to make it all crunchy and everything i love that mm. So, um, yeah. Oh God. You know, so, we did, we did an episode on Unagi uh, yeah, species spotlight on eel like two weeks ago and I was just craving sushi so bad. And we actually got sushi that week and now I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go home and see if I can convince my wife to let us get sushi mm-hmm. again. <laughs> so one of the techniques, and again, I know you mentioned that you're, you're, there's a lot of different ways that people can learn how to pre- prepare s- sushi. But one of the techniques that I learned when I was taking my you know, two hour quick session was about how to bead water down your knife blade right before I would cut it. That he'd have us dip your knife in water or, or something like that. And then I, you hold it up and let the water kind of bead down so that your knife had this, you know, a good little coat of water before you started making your cuts. Is that like a general technique or is that just something unique to the class that I took? No, because it's uh, a sushi rice and a sticky. So we do a little bit of water into the knife. So this mm-hmm. might be easy to cut. Like, uh, yeah. you know, like uh, oil, something like that. So just water, simply. So that's easier. Hmm. So that's uh, technique-wise. Otherwise, a dry knife, the very sticky comes in. So 
very mm. simple thing. The Sounds things you don't even think about <laughs> until you actually, oh, that makes sense. I can utilize that when I'm in the home kitchen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to stay for too long. I know you are super busy. Uh, we're getting close to time. So I just wanted to know um, a c- couple things. One, kind of what is on the horizon for you? What is the goals and plans for the future? And what resources might you might need to kind of achieve your goals? And then if there's any other kind of message or anything that you want to get out that you want our listeners to hear or learn, um, you know, let her rip. Okay. Thank you. Um, our school is, is uh, Monday to Friday, 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock, five hours in eight weeks. We do only the uh, five session. So, and also uh, uh, private lesson. People are, they don't have it at two months. Uh, they can come and then uh, one week or two weeks. It's like a lot of young chefs come into your training. So they know how to do it and sing and a proper cooking that uh, we do help them to uh, just a small uh, knowledge. And in two weeks, we can do this. So my goals are. It's called CCC. It's, it's a community uh, culture connection. That's a CCC. We supporting as a graduate, they need to learn more about Japan. Uh, we bring into the Japan to the trip. To uh, I did it is uh, a month ago to the one week in Japan to the see the soy sauce company, a miso company. Uh, uh, fisherman places and restaurant, very high-end Japanese restaurant, traditional in Kyoto. Uh, we did a sake company. We did uh, many uh, different uh, Japanese food culture, uh, bidding. So that's the only supporting uh, chef side in is in the other world. But same time, in Japan has a countryside. Is uh, having a hard time to do younger generation not and be there anymore. So we need to do countryside to do industry. We do support like a miso company, soy sauce company. Uh, they do for uh, sake company, rice field, uh, and then also there are cow uh, harvesting things in here. So we need to do go uh, not only Tokyo or Kyoto, Osaka, going to other uh, Kagoshima, Shikoku. We do Yamaguchi, Fukushima, Hokkaido. There's are many uh, countryside to do supporting industry. They're going to need the people. So that uh, industry support to interesting. The young people going back in a countryside to do support their own industry to do in this one. So I'm in a person able to create. They can come in the United States but they can see the world at the same time. And it's the United States people or other country people going to Japan. Then I can do collaborating to people to about the Japanese food industries, what their looks like, real world of uh, Japanese food side. Those things is I like to do in the future to my second life project. <laughs> right. Well, if any of our listeners have resources that can help you with that i'll make sure that we get your contact information because we want to help people mm-hmm. start working towards those goals any other b- before i ask my final question and then we get your contact information any other message that you want to send to our listeners while you have the platform yes we're in a sushi chef institute we have uh, facebook we have instagram please contact us and uh sushi school.net 
or email at susieschool.net. So we are here in Los Angeles. So, uh, or call us anytime or email us anytime or see the, what we going on, our crush in Instagram and in Facebook. Thank you so much. All right. And then the last question to settle a debate between myself and my wife and probably a lot of other, other families here in America. Soy sauce, does it need to be refrigerated? No. No. All right. That's what I needed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all, that's all I had. Just... I didn't know where what you were going to ask, for one, and that, that was not what I was expecting. Every one of those sauces that we have, uh, well, as soon as they're open, we put them in the fridge, and I'm, I'm always telling my wife, I don't think these need to be in here. <laughs> that's so funny. All right. Well, Chef Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Justin, do you have anything else? No, I, th I think we covered a lot of it, and it's just really impressive how you break up all of your eight weeks of training, and it's just really great to see. And this is a, a really unique part of the food world, right? Like this is just not as simple as as some people might think it is. And mm -hmm. and and your website is beautifully designed and easy to navigate. There's videos, and I you know would love our listeners to 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 give it a look. Yeah, I highly encourage anyone who, even if you don't think you'd be able to travel to Los Angeles to actually take this course, definitely like look into it and 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 look into what they're doing uh, because it's really cool and it's a neat process. And and if you have any kind of interest in learning how to do this, uh, definitely I would say reach out to Chef Andy because he, obviously he's very willing to talk and he's got mm -hmm. some great information. So Chef Andy, we are so so grateful that you were able to join us. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right, folks, that was our conversation with Chef Andy Matsuda. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I learned a lot. Justin was already a professional when it comes to sushi preparation, so um, you probably <laughs> didn't learn as much as I did. But it was a fantastic conversation. I'm really glad that he was able to join us. If you aren't subscribed yet, please remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you're listening right now. So every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded directly to your device. We're on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, you can do so by filling out our online form, which is located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And if you want to be more involved in what we do here at the Global Seafood Alliance, you may want to consider becoming a member. All of the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org org slash membership. Get on it. With that, I want to say thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye-bye.